Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Self Storage Insight Podcast. I'm Ben Shirey. Today, I'm joined by Terry Morrison. Uh, Terry is the managing member of Equanimity Capital Partners. And so, Terry, excited to have you on the show today. Excited to talk to you about your experience with self storage uh, and kind of, you know, get some of your insights on the industry. Uh, do you mind giving us a few minutes of a, of a little backstory? How did you get into the industry? Yeah, sure, Ben. Uh, again, thanks for the invitation. Glad to be on the on the podcast with you. Um, a little bit of background on how I got into business. Um, really, it was I was looking for diversification, investment diversification, and okay. I really liked the I liked the self storage business model. I'd read a little bit about it, and it it, it piqued my interest. Um, and so that's kind of how I, I I got started in it. My my previous background. I was in enterprise software sales, and then I transitioned over, uh, you know, into this space full time. But initially, I, I started out in real estate just as a single-family home investor. I had about you know, anywhere between 15 and 20 of the single-family homes, and then was looking for again just more diversification, not only outside of your typical 401ks and you know ESPP stock plans, which is where a lot of my money had been over the years, but uh, I moved some of that into single family homes, but I also wanted more diversification. And that's why I looked at self-storage. Um, I think, you know, when you say why, why self-storage, I mean, my perspective on it, Ben, was I looked at it as a, a very solid investment asset class in both up and down markets from what I had read about it. Um, also, you know, it was a, a lot less complex asset to manage and maintain, you know, say maybe than multifamily or even single family. And another thing that really caught my eye was I really like the landlord-tenant lien laws. They highly favor the landlord. They're completely different than some of the other asset classes. So I thought that was cool. Um, I think also the revenue risk involved in the model. You know, when I talk about the model, I really liked it. You know, you've got hundreds of tenants. If, you know, two or three or four of them don't pay, it's really unnoticeable. Whereas, you know, in other models, if somebody doesn't pay, it can be a big impact depending on, how big of a client they were in your business. So I like that. Sure. And the other thing too, is that most man most facilities could be managed remotely and with technology. And I kind of like that. I come from the tech space and I thought that was a good model and it was a, you know, cost saving model as well. So I've been in the business about three years. Um, my group uh, has about 12 facilities that we, we operate and manage currently. And we do a lot of construction and, and expansion on those. And, um, I think uh, that those 12 facilities comprise of about 3,000 um, net rentable square, or, I'm sorry, uh, 3,000 units and about, um, what is it, 400,000 net rentable square feet of space. And that those uh, 12 units are across five different states. Okay. And so as far as uh, acquiring those 12 uh, different facilities, did you buy them already built and then expand on them or did you buy land and, and completely develop it or, or kind of what was your approach there? Yeah, the way we looked at it, we, you know, when we started buying, Ben, it was, God, the market was incredibly hot, right? It was 20, 21, 22. And so, you know, prices were sky high. There was a lot of competition. Everybody's looking to get into the space with a lot of, just a lot of money chasing these properties. So, um, you know, we looked for properties that, um, you know, we could expand or we could convert, you know, meaning a warehouse that we could convert into uh, self-storage. Okay. And the reason we, we like that model is it just, it had, you know, there are other levers obviously that you could pull in, in trying to improve a property to increase, increase your NOI. I mean, you know, you can raise rates, you can, 
uh, kind of your, your, your expense line, you can sell tenant insurance, um, you know, you could pull on those levers, but we wanted a little bit more than that. So we looked at the expansion conversion model and um, that was the type of facility we looked at. So to answer your question, we would usually buy um, facilities that had some ongoing business. You know, they had 10, 15, 20,000 square foot of space already. And then we would look for that additional land that was, you know, with those um, uh, or, or warehouses that were with those uh, facilities that we could then go in and expand and construct on. So that's how that's how we approach it. Oh, nice. And so you you mentioned yeah, buying warehouses and things like that. Do you when you when you buy say a warehouse and convert it to storage, are you normally looking to create a climate controlled space? Do you kind of, what is kind of the goal there? Do you normally end up trying to get to a climate controlled space, or what's your preference? Yeah, I mean, usually climate control makes the most sense because usually those buildings already have some form of insulation and you know HVAC heaters and all that kind of stuff in them. So you try to capitalize on that. You know, you could make them non-climate if you wanted, but we we typically looked at just converting them to climate control. You know, we put the uh, you know fix up the floor, fix up the facility a little bit on the outside um, if it needed it. You know, we we uh, you know basically design out our unit mix and layout and have have that built on the interior and then and then add the HVAC component to it and electrical if needed. And uh, yeah, that that was the way we approached it. But yes, it was typically climate control. Okay. And then as, as you're building those facilities out, do you have like a specific builder or a specific building group that you like to work with in those cases? Or do you kind of just go off of recommendations depending on what area you're in or, or how do you decide how you're going to expand the buildings? Well, you know, we, we definitely like building partnerships with groups that we work with and we find that you can get a lot of synergy doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, And now if you're buying in a bunch of different locations, it's, Sometimes you have to jump around a little bit because it's harder to do that. But we, wherever possible, we try to, you know, develop relationships and partner with with people in different areas to kind of create that teamwork effect. You know, mm-hmm. um, so um, you know we would, uh, you know, we would work with uh, if in, in an area you know, we we find uh, general contractors obviously that and civil engineers and architects and bankers. You know, the the whole plethora of people you have to work with. And if right. we could rework with those guys on the next deal because it was in that local area or something, um, yeah, we would we would certainly do that, and we prefer to do that because it just it just made sense. Sometimes you know it, we if if the if the uh, next facility we bought was just too far away or it wasn't considered in that local region, then you know we would we would go to different partners to to work with them. Okay. Yeah, I know. I, I do hear those kind of questions a lot too, as far as even from people in my locality that are looking to grow and expand and they're nervous about getting outside of our area where they don't know yeah. any of the contractors. And so then this, you know, they don't know the banks that are in the other area. So, you know, there, there's always that unknown factor of expanding outside of your region. Uh, that Well, you know, you, you really what you have to do is you, you, you've just got to tell people what you're trying to do, right? You got to explain to them what your goals and your business model looks like and what you're trying to achieve. And, you know, you just look for a partnership. Are they a good fit for working with you? And yeah, you have to go through, I mean, if, if you haven't worked with them before, you absolutely have to go through the process of, you know, interviewing and talking to them and trying to build that relationship. And and then, you know, if it's a fit, you know, you can move on with them, but if it's not, you, you go talk to other people. So sometimes you definitely have to do that, but you also rely heavily on others in the industry that you might know that can give you referrals too. So, you know, you don't just start Googling names. I mean, you can't do it that way, but a lot of times we would rely on other people that we knew that might be able to somebody like coppers, the same storage, right? That we, uh, storage management that we work with. They, uh, 
they would could refer people to us and, and so forth. So it, it's always good to ask for, and it's weird because sometimes you might be talking to your attorney, right? Your lawyer. And believe it or not, they can give you referrals. Like, hey, do you know anybody? And you, you, you ask those questions. So um, it, you, you should ask that when you're talking to anybody in the industry and it helps you build out that team, so to speak, if you're going to areas that you may not have those contacts. Right. One other thing too, that I think is important is, you know, networking. If you go to some of the trade shows or, you know, if you join the local association or the state association at whatever level you would be at, um, a lot of times they would have recommendations as well on, you know, people even outside of their state. Uh, so well, having those association connections helps a little bit there too. Absolutely. And you know, what? we do that. We absolutely do what you just said. We go to ISS in Vegas. Uh, there's a couple of trade shows a year in Las Vegas. We go to those. Uh, we go to other, you know, the local, like I'm, I belong to the, the local uh, um, storage uh, uh, group here where I'm at my partner in his state. He does that too. So you're spot on. That's exactly what you should do because you can get a lot of, we've gotten a ton of contacts. We've even went to multifamily events, right? I mean, even though the multifamily still you're, you're, you're dealing with a lot of people that overlap or can overlap. And there's a lot of networking that goes on there. So we, we've done it all those ways. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Great information. Yeah. I want to go back to something you said a little bit earlier when you said about starting to invest in self-storage and how most of it could be fully automated or remotely managed. Uh, and then you'd mentioned that you work with copper storage management. Uh, what, what is a feature? What is something that has benefited you from using a, a third-party management service that has helped you grow your business? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, when you think about what it takes to manage a self-storage facility, um, you know, there, there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of things that need to go on. And then if you start saying, well, I've got 12 of them now, I mean, that's a massive lift, right? That's a heavy lift to do. So, you know, we looked at that when we were, were first starting, we said, oh, there's no way we're going to have the bandwidth or the expertise to do this on our own. So we were looking for that type of a partner and copper fit that bill perfectly for us. And, you know, when you think about it, you, you, you know, you've got uh, your, your digital. I mean, when, 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 when you ask what, what do we rely on copper for? I mean, pretty much everything, right? Okay. Um, they are a very strategic partner for us. Um, they run all the digital part of our business, the website, the click ads, the SEO, uh, all of our promotions. Uh, they implement dynamic pricing, you know, on the website. Um, they drive our tenant insurance income. They manage our auctions. You know, when you have a, a person doesn't pay, you got to kick right. them out and auction their stuff off. They do our site repairs. You know, something, you know, door might break, a gate might break, you know, light needs to be replaced, things like that. That, that property management, they, they, they deal with that for us. They take care of all of our on-site, you know, kind of promotional signage like flags and banners and, you know, things like that. Um, and then one of the other things that they provide that I find very useful for our management team is they use a product called monday.com for project management. So all those things that we have to manage and deal with that we're involved with as owners, uh, we work with them on that project management platform to manage those tasks, right? So there's always a, a list of them. And like I said, when you've got 12 properties, that list can get very long. Right. Because there's 12 properties. So, so back to your question, you know, those are the things that they do for us. Um, and quite frankly, you know, if you think about it, if you were that owner and you were trying to take all of that upon yourself and you were trying to do that across multiple properties, um, that would be incredibly burdensome. You, 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 you spend all of your time doing that. Now that's, if you, you may want to do that, 
But if you want to scale and get outside of one property, and then the other thing, your properties would all have to be very closely located if you were going to be doing that. Right. Be doing that. If they start getting spread out a couple states apart, five hours apart, you know, it makes that model even harder. Where that's what Copper does. They're able to manage it remotely for us uh, and, and and allow us to scale, and, and they do a great job. Right. And, that, and that's big too, even as, if you think about the overhead of hiring managers to manage the facility, if you don't have something like that, training employees or having the employee, you know, the payroll overhead and all of that with your facilities. Uh, is, yeah. yeah. I mean, Ben, I would say that, you know, just financially, the number one reason, if you said, you know, why, how does that benefit our business? You're looking at knocking off 30, like 30 grand of, of expense line right off the, out of the gate uh, by not having an, an on-site manager that lives there or works there full time. Right. So it's not that those, those functions still have to be taken care of. And there's a little bit of cost associated with it, but nothing like paying somebody full time. Yeah. And it, and it seems like as far as even with scale, it helps you have the freedom to kind of look for opportunities for investments, you know, in a, on a much bigger scale versus, yeah. you know, trying to grow location by location. Yeah. And, and spread out from an area. Well, uh, you my, my, my partners, my partners at Equity Community Capital Partners, um, you know, it just allows us as asset managers to spend our time doing other things, right? Uh, finding new deals, um, getting a property ready for sale, you know, just, just, you know, dealing with all of our, you know, our investors and our, our banking relationships and just all the things you have to do as, as asset managers. So we can focus on that. We don't have to deal with the day-to-day operation of the right. facility. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can just focus, yeah, growing the business and uh, let them take care of the management part. That's exactly. awesome. Exactly. Yeah. So, so to just kind of shift gears a little bit, I guess, what, what would you say would be your biggest challenge as far as starting out with investing in self-storage? Um, you know, if, if I were, I guess, to give somebody advice on that and, and, and kind of what, how it pertained to me personally, you know, when we started, when we started buying in this space, what late 2020, right? Um, okay. That was, like I said, if, if you have any historical knowledge about this space, you know, the prices were strong and climbing and there was a lot of competition out there. There were a lot of investors all buying and trying to buy the same properties and prices were sky high. Um, so, you know, what we tried to do, um, that was a challenge. I mean, that was really probably one of our biggest challenges was how do you find a fairly priced property that you're not overpaying for, that you can make the numbers work out on um, in that type of environment, I would say that was that was the biggest challenge that we had, right? And, okay. and, and, and you know that 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 was the, the the game. I mean, you're out there grinding through deals, talking to people. You you know you'd go after some, you'd lose some, lose a lot, right? I mean, we lost a lot of deals just because there are a lot of other people outbidding us, or that we weren't willing to pay as uh, you know high of a cap rate as, as somebody else was paying. So um, yeah, that that to me was probably the biggest uh, challenge. Okay. Now, do you feel like that your real estate background or having some other real estate properties, like already having a little bit of knowledge on that helped with that transition or starting to invest in that or no? Yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I'd been in the single family space for, you know, I don't know, a dozen years and, and had quite a few properties in that space. And so sure that, that uh, helped. Right. Um, and also, you know, I was, um, in my previous career, you know, I, I, I was an enterprise sales, uh, software sales rep. And so, you know, I had to deal with a lot of contracts and, 
and all that kind of stuff. And there's a, you know, a little bit of a overlap there for what we were, what we were doing when we were acquiring properties um, and going through that whole acquisition phase of, of getting self, self storage properties under our belt. And I kind of helped our team and ran point on a lot of that. And so, you know, a lot of that past experience uh, dealing with legal and contracts and, you know, right. so on, it, it certainly helped. Yes. Okay. What, what is your kind of, what is your take on, you know, seeing again, every time I look up, what's trending in self-storage or, or, you know, what, what's going on. It seems like there's just more and more REITs and, um, you know, investment trusts and things getting into this industry now. How, how do you feel that that plays into getting started out? If, if you're just a single person looking to invest in self-storage going up, feeling like you're going up against all these investment trusts sure. and things that are putting pressure on the market. Sure. Well, if you look, if you look at the market, it's still a very fragmented market, right? I, I think it's like 65, 35, somewhere in that range, meaning, 35% of it's institutionalized, the REITs, the bigger players, the bigger investors, and 65% is just still fragmented into individual owners and very small, as they call mom and pop type owners. And so there's a lot of upside uh, uh, potential in that market because it's not fully controlled by the REITs. But in my opinion, the REITs and, and other larger investors been being involved in this space validates the space. They wouldn't be putting money into it and chasing this space if the business model wasn't sound and it wasn't a good space to be in. So to me, there's a little bit of a silver lining in that. Now, um, there are a lot of places. I mean, self-storage has been around a long time, since the 70s, right? And it's all country. And REITs usually like to play in the bigger spaces, the bigger MSA markets. And for people that are just starting out, you don't have to go compete with the REITs. Go to a you know tier four or five or six market, a smaller town that's got 15,000, 20,000 people in it, and buy a facility there, right? Or, or some place where it's affordable for you that meets you know, what, what you're trying to accomplish or what you can, you can do. So um, I, I, don't, I, I, I kind of view that as a positive. You know, another thing about REITs too is they do with their knowledge, market presence, uh, all, the, all the things that they bring to the table, they do kind of drive rates in the industry, right? They drive the rental rates and where they go. So, you know, that, that kind of trickles through the market and, and helps, I think, impact things in a positive way. If you're on the owner side, right, you want rates to be higher, obviously, right. uh, to increase your revenue. So I don't, I don't view REITs as being bad. I just, I just think you have to, you know, again, be smart about where you buy and, and you know, make sure you're, you're, you're competing in a market that fits you. Yeah, that's very, very good advice. Yeah, thank you. This episode of the Self Storage Insight podcast is brought to you by CC Storage. CC Storage is a property management software that enables you to pass card processing fees onto your customers, immediately impacting your business's bottom line. If you're looking for all the convenience of processing cards without the cost, then CC Storage may be perfect for you. Go to ccstorage.com to learn more. Now back to the episode. Do you have any, do you have any horror stories as far as from the investment side, any, anything that you remember specifically that, you know, went really bad or that you would share or uh, um, nothing that comes to mind? No, I mean, I, I wouldn't say, uh, uh, let me think. Um, I, I wouldn't call it a horror story, but maybe, maybe, a, you know, just kind of a, you know, lessons learned kind of an adventure would, would be a better way to put it. Um, you know, we found this great property that we thought, man, this is going to be awesome. And we're going to go, you know, it was going to be one of the ones that we did a little bit more development. And, and it was a 16 acre property, I believe somewhere in that range. And um, we were going to, uh, you know, expand it, put climate control on it, some covered RV parking, enclosed parking, uh, you know, enclosed RV. 
Um, and, you know, we were, great location. Everything about it looked fantastic, right? So we engaged the lawyers and the civil engineers and the feasibility study folks. And, you know, we got going on this thing and everything still looked great, great, great. And we were, you know, quite a ways into the due diligence period. We were under contract in the due diligence period. And then our civil engineer late in the process discovered what could be a wetlands issue. And as we learned later on it, on the initial maps and everything that they were looking at, it, it wasn't there because I guess some laws had been changed in the local areas, some, some cockamamie story like that. Yes. And so now it was applying where it didn't before these wetland rules. And lo and behold, we discovered that 75% of the property that we were looking to buy was impacted by wetlands and setbacks and that we couldn't use the land. Oh, wow. so, that was just a deal killer. You know, you 75% of what you're going to buy just out the window. We didn't have enough room to expand, do anything we wanted to. And right. we were, we were, we were well into that. So, you know, um, we had to walk away from that deal during the due diligence period. And, uh, you know, we, we still lost, you know, $30,000 in the process because, you know, we had to pay the lawyers and the engineers sure. and the, all the stuff that we invested in, but that was just, that's part of the game. That's what you do. But, uh, that was a little bit of a downer because it looks so promising. And then just, we got blindsided late in the process, um, you know, by this wetlands issue that nobody saw. So, right. Well, I mean, that's also why the due diligence process is so important, right? Yeah, yeah. You could have lost way more than, <laughs> way more than that had it been discovered later. Yeah. You know, we, we've had due diligence processes where we've walked away from properties where we did discover things real early on. And to your point, that's the purpose of the due diligence process is to find those things that, Maybe you didn't like about the property, didn't know about the property. It doesn't fit what you're trying to do. And then you make those decisions. And we, we've had to walk away from a few deals in, in that regard where, um, you know, it, it it was early in the process. So we didn't feel that financial pain. Right. That's awesome. Though. Yeah, good story. And it, and it also brings awareness to kind of some of the things that can yeah. come up as you're getting into the investment side of it. So, yeah, yeah that's. Well, you know, and, and what, Ben, one thing I would, would suggest to people that are trying to get into space, it might be new to space. You know, number one, don't try to do everything yourself. As we've talked about before, find strategic partners like, you know, copper uh, storage management and others, you know, whether it's bankers or real estate agents or contractors that you're working with, whatever you're doing, you know, look for that team. That certainly helps as opposed to trying to go it alone. But one of the other, I, I think, big things I would recommend to people that are trying to get in self-storage space or they want to venture into this area would be, Take the time to educate yourself, right? You have, and I'm, and I'm talking about not just, you know, at the sur surface level, but really you got to dig into it, right? You've got to, you've got to get a deeper education, understanding of what the space is all about, what you're getting yourself into. You know, you need to read a lot. You need to go to webinars. You need, you need to go to in-person conferences. You know, those ones I talked about in Las Vegas and they're, you know, the local, um, you know, um, chapters of your, your storage uh, groups, you know, join them. Um, and, and network and, and just really educate yourself. I, if you do that, I think you're going to be, you know, much better off and you won't have as many false starts or you won't have as much risk. Uh, there's always risk, but you certainly can reduce it. Right. And then I think along with that, you know, you have to, you have to understand why you're wanting to get into it. You know, what are your personal goals? What are your financial goals? What are you really trying to accomplish? And does the self-storage space match up to what you're trying to do? And I think if those are congruent and all lines up, then you, you've got to win and you can move forward. But I just think you need to understand that and the space uh, before you jump in. I think if you do that, you'll be a, a lot better off for it. 
Well, that that's an awesome piece of advice. And yeah, that went to my next question. I was going to ask is what, what would one piece of advice be that you'd, you know, be interested in giving yeah. to somebody looking to start out. So that was awesome. Yeah. Very, very good information. And thank you very much for, uh, for being on the podcast with me today. Really enjoyed, yeah. really enjoyed talking with you and, uh, yeah, that, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And I'm happy to join Ben and, you know, if people want to learn more about us, you know, they can go out to our, we have a website, Equity Capital Partners com. Um, you know, we've got information on our website. My partner, Chris, wrote a really good white paper um, on the self-storage space that I would encourage people. That would be a good education piece for people to read. You can follow me and Chris, Chris Cashman and Terry Morrison on LinkedIn. We have a, we post a lot of uh, educational information out on LinkedIn uh, on a weekly basis. So you can follow us there as well. Yeah, but very, very good information that you gave. I appreciated, appreciated you taking a couple minutes to talk to us today. And uh, yeah, really enjoyed having you on the show. All right. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. This podcast episode was brought to you by CC Storage. CC Storage is a property management software that helps you pass the fees of credit card processing onto your customers so you don't pay credit card processing fees ever again. If you enjoyed the podcast, there's a link below where you can fill out a form and be interviewed on the podcast with myself. If that interests you, please click the link below and we'll be in touch. We hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. Don't forget to check back next week for another interview with another self-storage property owner.